Welcome to Mosaic Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Mosaic Church Leeds, based in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information on Mosaic Church, please visit mosaic-church.org.uk. Thank you for listening. Well, uh, good evening, everyone. Really, really nice to see you. If we've not met yet, my name is Matt Hatch. Uh, I'm one of the leaders here. Um, I remember things like envelopes, and I think I do a few other things as well, but um, it's great that you're here today. Um, Mosaic is a, is a big family um, that are made up of people that have oriented their lives around Jesus. Uh, we realize that the problems of the world and the problems of our hearts are far bigger than we can deal with on our own. We have all realized that we've got to give our lives and our hearts to Jesus in order for him to break in and bring change and hope and life and purpose. And for everyone that's here tonight that would say, yes, I'm a Christian, they've done that exchange. They've sort of said this old life, I I just can't live it uh, in my own strength. I need someone that uh, can do it for me. And for those of us that have made that decision, Uh, we would never, ever go back. It's ruined us for anything else because we've experienced something so special, so amazing. And to ensure that we all don't just sort of make it up as we go along, uh, we actually believe that God has revealed himself to us through a collection of books. And that collection of books is right here. It's, It's called a Bible. And it's in the Bible that we find uh Everything either points towards Jesus, is about Jesus, or looking forward to Jesus' return. And every week when we gather, we we spend time reading this and studying it together because it's in this that we find sort of some of the, the, uh, I guess, the encouragement to walk towards God. And we're currently in a series in the book of Acts, and Acts is uh, a wonderful place to be because it charts the first 30 years or so uh, after Jesus Christ died and then rose again and ascended back into heaven. And every chapter in Acts, again, has people and places that have been impacted by Jesus Christ. And uh, we find ourselves today in chapter 6 and 7. And in chapter 6 and 7, we come across the first person to die for their faith. And that person is a man called Jesus You know, it's estimated around the globe something like 90,000 Christians die uh, for their faith every year. So every six minutes, there's a Christian around the world that is being persecuted and martyred for their faith. And the reading today is about the first person who gave his life up for Jesus. So if you've got a Bible, can you turn to Acts chapter 6 with me? It's going to be on the screen. We're going to go from verse 1. And just so we can cover both chapters, I'm going to sort of like dip in and out a little bit. So verse 1. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who you know to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and ministry of the Word. And this proposal pleased the whole group, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. 
So uh, there's this problem where the widows in the community, uh, half of them were feeling hard done by because whenever food was distributed to them, uh, those that came from a Greek-speaking world felt the, the local widows were, were sort of getting priority. And so the church quickly realized there was sort of some racial division happening in the church, which was totally against the gospel that they were preaching, and quickly moved to appoint seven godly men to sort of make sure that the widows got the correct amount of food. And the star of the show, the hero of the story, Stephen, is chosen. Verse 8, now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as from the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. So what's happening here is the authorities don't like what the early church is doing, the growth, the conversions. They feel like they're losing power. And so the idea is if we pick on one, And if we attack one, then hopefully as they are persecuted, then everyone else will fall away as well. And so they go after one person. But what we find is that Stephen doesn't actually sort of back down or go away quietly, but rather he preaches a message that is so provocative that it ends up with them rising up against him. And we're going to come back to that message in a moment. But verse 54, when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, in other words, this message that he gave, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. They they become almost like animals. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And at this, they covered their ears and they yelled at the top of their voices. They all rushed at him, dragging him out of the city, and they began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul, who later becomes the Apostle Paul. And while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. And the first Christian martyr is slain. I want to introduce you tonight the big idea, the thing that I guess I'm going to be talking about again and again. And I need a volunteer, and Emma has kindly volunteered for me. And Emma, if you can just come down the front. Can we give Emma a little round of applause? And, um, yeah, why don't you go there, Emma? And if you can hold this little bag of toys that I got, I've got three kids, and you know my, my kids have lots of toys. I mean, loads of stuff in here. The problem is, when you have too much stuff, when something better comes along, there's no room for it. So, say if I had a better toy to give Emma. And I wanted to present Emma with this great toy. Well, she would need to do something uh, quite profound in order to fully embrace this new toy. Are you ready to do that thing? She's looking nervous. We've not practiced this. Let's hope it. Pray if you're a praying sort of person right now. One, two, three. Yes, Emma! Very good, very good, very good. Can I have that back? Yeah, I need to sleep safely tonight. Yeah, thanks. 
The big idea is this. You can only receive something better when you let go of what you already have. You can only receive something better when you let go of something you already have. When you turn to the person next to you and sort of in your best sort of, I don't know, not preaching tone, just say it like with meaning, from the heart. Say to them, you can only receive something better when you let go of what you already have. Good work. Some of you are like putting your hand on your heart as you speak. How sincere is that? Well done. And as Rich said, tonight is a special offering night. Calling us to give away, to let go, to sacrifice in order to receive more of something better, namely Jesus Christ. Tonight is all about letting go of potentially good things in order to get something better, the person of Jesus Christ. So let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, um, thank you so much for the opportunity we have tonight to study your word, to be together, to have our eyes sort of turned to yourself. And I, I pray, God, that you'd help me communicate well from what I've studied in the word, but also you would be speaking. You would be glorifying your son, Jesus, through all that we do. Amen. You know, there are many things in life that appear on the outside painful and in the short term uh, of great cost, but in the long term, uh, you receive something better. Uh, all of you that are into exercise know the principle of short-term pain to have long-term gain. I generally feel like I have a love-hate relationship with things like that. I don't like the pain in the short term, and I find it hard to sort of think of the future. And to be frank with you, um, a special offering preach falls into this same love-hate category. Short-term pain for long-term gain. So as your church leader, my confession tonight is that I hate these preachers with a passion. And I'm just going to talk for a bit because it will be cathartic and helpful. Just nod, like, just be empathic and all that sort of thing. So listen, this is why I hate it. I hate it because culturally, telling people that we're raising £75,000 and asking them to give to it makes everyone nervous and twitchy. We don't generally talk about money in our culture. I imagine very few of us know how much we earn, how much we give. And so we definitely don't like someone telling us where to uh, or what to do with our money. And that's what I'm doing tonight. I hate these preachers because when you talk about money, everyone is suddenly on edge. And it's really easy to offend people. And it's really easy just to get my words wrong and you end up storming out. Or, please don't do that. Or, the, because of the inbuilt distrust uh, of leaders and institutions in our culture, many of you are just asking those really tough questions. Where exactly does my money go? Will it be wasted? Matt, do you benefit personally 
from what you're asking me to give tonight. Or uh, another reason I hate these talks is that I look out amongst you people, you lovely people, and I see years of generosity. Like for many of you that have tracked with Mosaic uh, for, for months, years, maybe even a decade. And I just see years of you sacrificing so much in order to be really generous. And it is hard to stand before you and say, come on, let's go again, when you've already given so much. Or I hate it because I look out, and for those of you that are unemployed, or for those of you that are students with a mounting student debt, you've already turned off and thought, tonight is irrelevant. Um, there is a massive consumer mentality in our culture and for many students that go to church, you just expect everything to be provided for you for free. And so I know that just for you students out there, I, I've already lost many of you. You've counted yourself as like, this is irrelevant. And it's an uphill struggle for you to see that no matter what your financial situation sacrifice and generosity are not optional extras for the Christian. They're not optional extras. We're called to live that sort of life. But on the other hand, I love these nights. I absolutely love these nights. Let me tell you why I love special offering nights. I love it because there's no better way to see if Christ is truly Lord of everything in our lives than asking you to part with your hard-earned cash. You know, I can ask you from the front for your time, for your commitment, for your service, and you guys don't bat an eyelid. Then I ask you for your money. You're like, whoa, that's a lot. There's nothing like talking about finance to get things real, to get to the heart in a second. And I love nights like this because giving away your finance for myself, for my family, and for you reveals greed and selfishness like nothing else. So when we ask you to give, um, it is such a clear opportunity for all of us to grow in our faith, to mature as disciples, and I love calling you to that. You know, it is impossible to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus without becoming a fully developed steward of your resources. Those two things go hand in hand. And listen, I love nights like this because I personally am totally convinced of what I'm calling you to give to. I feel like really confident that, um, that as I present you, here are the things that, and here are the people we want to invest in. I just know that they're, they're really good things. I have joy. I have confidence in them. And I know that every pound will help us serve and love more people. And lastly, uh, I love nights like this because a generous, sacrificial church that freely gives away its money brings much more glory to God, which is the bottom line which is what we exist for, is to bring glory to God, but also has the power to change the world. If all of us are free to give, if all of us will use our resources for the kingdom of God, then, my gosh, God can give us a load of stuff to do for him. And I'd love us to be in that posture. So I have a love-hate relationships with nights like this. I mean, you may be asking, well, what on earth has that and the fact that we're doing a special offering got to do with the book of Acts and the first martyr, Stephen? Well, I want to ask this question tonight. How did this very ordinary guy go from serving behind the scenes, serving the widows, 
and somehow end up standing before a religious court, defending the faith, and then being prepared to stand up for what he believes in in the face of death and being crushed by stones, yet worshipping Jesus through it all. Um, as you read his story, he seems content. He seems, uh, even though his life is ending far sooner than he thought, he seems okay with holding nothing back. He, he's not really thinking of himself. He's convinced the sacrifice is worth it. And my feeling is this. If I can get some of that into my own life, if I can get some of Stephen's thing, whatever's going on in him in this moment into my life, then maybe I can find freedom and satisfaction too. Maybe on challenging days like tonight, I can say to God, honestly, not just because I know it's the right thing to say, but honestly before God, I can, I can say to him, you can have whatever you want and hold nothing back and give with a smile on my face. So I've got two things that I've got time for you to tell you that I've noticed from the life of Stephen. Number one is that he doesn't reject the rescuer. So there's three things in the story you need to know about the Jewish people that he preaches to. Three things that were important. The law, the land, and the temple. God had entrusted them with the law. First five books of the Bible. He had entrusted them with with the law. Then he had promised the land for them to dwell in. And then his presence would come in the temple. However, Stephen could see that somehow they had substituted these things for an actual obedient relationship with God. And so in his preach, what he does is this. He takes the hall of fame of Israel's history and explains that each one was a rejected rescuer. Each one was sent by God but rejected by Israel. So Joseph saved people from famine in Egypt, yet he was rejected by his brothers. Moses saved the people from Pharaoh, yet was rejected by his fellow Israelites. David saved the people from their enemies, yet was rejected by Saul and one of his own sons. Stephen says, just as they followed that pattern of being the rejected rescuers, so Jesus himself was sent by God and you have rejected him. He was sent to save you, but you have brutally murdered him. He says, you've not only completely missed the rescuer, but you have not obeyed the law and you've not worshipped God as he's commanded. Listen to his concluding remarks in Acts 7, verse 52. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You have received the law that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it. And you know what? The religious leaders, they could not stand it. If you like, they wanted to hold on to their things, their gifts, the things they thought would save them, their toys, if you like, the things that they invested their life in, the law, the temple, were all very important to them, the land. And they would not let go of those things. Stephen was saying they were gifts from God, but you have missed the giver of those things. And we mustn't do the same tonight. Have you rejected the rescuer or have you let him save you? Listen, we all have stuff that we put in a box like this. We all have stuff that we look to to save us. We all have stuff that we fill and cram our lives with. And when that moment comes, when something better is offered, when someone presents to you Jesus Christ, 
who died on a cross for your sins and says, you need him in your life at the center of it for you to be saved. If we've got the box of stuff and refuse to let go, then he cannot come in and save us. We must let it go to receive something better. Don't reject the rescuer. You know, people that are comfortable do not need Jesus because there's no room for him. If you want to accept the rescuer tonight, you must make room for him. He does not force his way in. But bigger than that, I want you to see that Stephen held so tightly to Christ that he wasn't able to hold on to nearly anything else. And so it meant that when he was asked to give of himself, he could do it. And I want to ask you, is that you tonight? Is that me tonight? What are you holding tight to in your life? You know, I I just look and I, I see people wanting a nice life, nice phones, a nice home, a nice sofa, a nice holiday, a nice savings account, nice food. What are all those things? They are simply nice The problem in our hearts goes so deep that those things will not ultimately help you. They may comfort, they may soothe, they may make you feel better in the short term. But it's only Jesus Christ that satisfies the soul and rescues us. Do not reject the rescuer. But not just that. Secondly, you need to receive a love like no other. As Stephen stands in a pit and heavy stones are lifted above people's heads and flung down on top of him, Stephen somehow manages to look up. In verse 56, look, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. I absolutely love what is happening here. I don't know if you've ever had the experience of climbing up a mountain And as you've got to the the summit, the the whole summit has been clouded out. And so there's a big mist or or it seems like a fog. And so you get to the top expecting the view and there's nothing there. It's just damp and wet. Well, on a glorious moment, sometimes the wind blows and blows away those clouds. And suddenly the blue breaks through and suddenly you get a glimpse of the view. And then hopefully all the clouds go and you suddenly you're experiencing the Beautiful vistas, the beautiful view from atop the summit. Well, a similar dynamic is happening for Stephen. He faces this religious court. The religious court want his life. They are saying, you're speaking against the things that we hold dear, given by God. And in that moment, as they drag him away, it's like the wind blows the clouds away and he gets to see the true reality facing him. And it's not that he's facing an earthly court, but there is a heavenly court. And Jesus is stood at the right hand of the Father. And what is Jesus doing? He's interceding for Stephen. He's standing before God on Stephen's behalf. And Stephen, in that little microcosm of time, understands that he stood guilty before God. But Jesus represents him before him and declares him loved, forgiven, and free. You see, it's at the cross Jesus takes the punishment we deserve that was due for our sin. And Stephen has trusted his life to Jesus so he can know God personally. 
And he can now enter a perfect relationship with a father, not based on his hard work, not based on the fact that he looks after widows, not definitely not based on the fact that he's going to die for his faith, but on the perfect work of Christ. And he looks, he sees these people wanting to stone him, but he looks up, the clouds go, and he sees Jesus at the right hand of the Father. What does he see? He sees the grace of God. He sees God accepting him. And when you receive, if you truly receive the extravagant love of God that is not based on your hard work, but on the completed work of Jesus, it overwhelms you and allows you to lead the sort of life that shows extravagant love to others. And that is why I believe, as Stephen is stoned, verse 60, he's able to say, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. It's because he's experienced that himself. How could Stephen give up his life joyfully? How could he give it all away? Well, he'd gained Jesus. He'd received a love like no other. Jesus was a more satisfying prize. And it begs the question, can we do the same? Are we looking at our idols to satisfy us? You know... Have we limited in any shape or form bits of our life that we allow God access to? So listen, uh, Stephen didn't say to God, I'm fine just doing the widows, thank you very much. I don't mind just waiting on tables, uh, unseen role. But he also said, I will obey and I will pray for the sick. And suddenly miracles started to happen. And then suddenly he found himself in front of a court defending his faith. Then suddenly he found himself in a pit facing uh, people hurling down stones. At no point did he say, I don't mind, like, I'll do the first bit. Uh, I signed up for that rota. I didn't ask for anything else, thank you very much. But wholeheartedly, he gave himself to Jesus. And that's provocative for me. That's like... Wow, he did not reserve bits of his life, but was willing to give up to the point of death. Do you look at all your outgoings and see what is left and give that away? Or do you ask God, what shall we give? And then make your outgoings fit round your giving. Do you think I'm a student in debt, so I can't give? Or do you think I'm a Christian called to lead a generous life? Therefore, the most prudent thing to do is sacrifice a few luxuries, sacrifice even a few necessities in order to give money away. Learn those lessons now. Get in the habit of letting go in order to receive something better. Stephen did not withhold his life because he had tasted a love like nothing else. You know, just to push this home a little bit, I wonder what you think Stephen would say if he was here tonight. Like I wonder if he was sat next to you this evening and he was listening to me talk about the special offering. I wonder what he'd whisper in your ear when that moment came to give. You know, I think he'd lean over and whisper, Matt, Think of the grace poured out over your life and the delight of growing closer to Jesus in obedience. Be lavish, be generous, give it away 
it is worth it. I don't know if you've ever had the privilege of looking after some kids that were demanding some sweets. Um, I, that's like my life. And, uh, and usually I have to fish out a couple of quid to give my kids uh, a chance to buy some sweets. They buy a lot of sweets. And then they come back in and I say, oh, can I have one of them? And they say, no, you can't. Isn't that bad, Paula? That's welcome to parenting right there. And I'm like, I pay for those sweets and you're not letting me have one. Let's not treat the father like that who gives every good and perfect gift to us. And tonight, just, you know, we do, we do this every other year, is a night where he comes, I hope he comes to you and says, will you give this? And I hope that... Mm-hmm.